You're listening to The Life of Tri. It's triathlon for your ears. Well, here we are, episode 60 of The Life of Tri, live from the Ken Glass Studios. Phil Rockner and Kevin McKinnon on what has been arguably one of the more interesting weeks in the world of triathlon. But we'll get to all things that have blown up this week uh, in the next couple of minutes. But Kevin, welcome. Hey, uh, thanks so much. And Ken Glaw, there's a great studio choice for you. Uh, I, I can't remember if Kenny, he didn't like being called Kenny Glaw but, or not, but um, a guy from the East Coast and uh, stuck around the East Coast as opposed to everyone else who moved out West. And I used to race uh, Kenny and Steve Fitch and there were a bunch of folks uh, who like uh, who stuck around in the East. So yeah. very good one. As usual, another one of your great <laughs> studio choices. The beast from the East, uh, the man with the mullet, the uh, ginger mullet going flat out. Didn't he race like like 4,000 Konas in a row or something like that? Something ridiculous. Yeah, I, I, he, he kept qualifying for Kona and I, I think he's still got that streak going. Um, it was well over 30. Um, Man, that's that I remember, yeah, like, yeah, it just and but the best thing about Kenny is just or Ken is he's just a great guy, you know, just one of these super personable and will do anything for you. They, um, his group has saved me, I think, almost every time I've gone to Mexico, <laughs> I end up in Cancun, sort of stuck and trying to figure out how to get to Cozumel. And one of uh, Kenny's <laughs> Ken's group will just kind of. I come up and go, Kevin, you're lost again. Here, get on this bus. We'll get you there. <laughs> he was, uh, I just remember him as a kid. I can, uh, now was it him in a really close finish in Ironman New Zealand against my old man, my man, Paulie Kiuru? Was the two of them sprinting for the finish, wasn't it? It sure was, yes. And And I feel like one of them ended up on the wrong side of the barriers or something. And that's right. Was, yeah. Quite the sprint to the line. And yeah, very exciting. That, yeah, that, that would actually be a fun story to look back at, you know, and it was a, um, it was because of the time when it was done, you know, back in the stone age, obviously there was no coverage internet cause that wasn't invented yet for those young kids listening. The internet was only invented some years ago, not all the way back. Um, and the photo, though, was really, really – whoever took the photo was amazing. Like, it was really full-on. Like, And the two of them are just going flat out. And the coolest thing is I think Paulie Kiru is wearing a midriff singlet. That's the best part about all of that. <laughs> Total old school, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, one of, like, that was one of the first – true sprints to the line that we had in the sport, you know, like Ironman races going over in those days, nine hours low or eight hours was, uh, was an amazing time. Now, you know, we're seeing all these seven hour times, but um, so yeah, you didn't see sprints to the line ever. No. And you saw that was a time too, when they had the Ironman uh, World Series when they were racing so many different races and there was well we were in five or six at the time but they were racing multiple times around the world um, and and certainly um, Taupo on the map Foster in Australia was uh, the Australian version of that which they had at their venue before Port Macquarie for a number of years but people in Foster would I'll be honest with you man they, they never loved Ironman you'd walk up there and you could wait 
45 minutes for just a coffee. You know, they were not, uh, not wrapped, <laughs> not wrapped to see you. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Yes. Good old days. And I, and I believe Kenny, uh, Ken Glaw did win that world series one year too. Um, yeah, back because I, I think there were only seven Ironmans, and I feel like he did five or six of them. Yeah. The <laughs> so. mental, isn't it? Like how much you can do. I mean, surely, at, like after four in a year or whatever, you just be blunt. You know, you'd be like a blunt trauma to your to your body. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. I never did more than. Uh, good grief! Did I ever even do? I don't think I ever did more than one in a year. Um, yeah. yeah. Like I was able to qualify. Um, in uh can't remember where I qualified in 87 but 89 I qualified at the crawfish man so it was uh and uh, I fear that wasn't even a half distance so yeah back in those days you could qualify without having to do a full yeah yeah and they they brought that back too because I think people qualified in Auckland do you know on that qualification remember I think we might have spoken about this when the celebrities were coming in and they weren't qualifying and things like that um, you know, people get real narky if you come through a, you know, a side entrance into, into Kona. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, there's definitely not narky, but it's, there's, it, there's definitely a prestige to go along with, with qualifying. Mm. I, well, and you know, based on where we're about to, you know, go this conversation, I've had a few conversations about Lance Armstrong and, you know, the, the Ironman folks were desperate to just give him a Kona slot and he, was adamant that he was not going to Kona if he didn't qualify. No, he was off to uh, Nice before he got popped. Yeah, he was off to Nice and then, you know, then ended up getting banned. So, mm. um, uh, and wasn't able to participate there. But yeah, he had made it abundantly clear. He, like, he did not want to be on that starting line, especially in the pro race with a bunch of the pros going, yeah, you know, nice to get the invite. Yeah, I mean, so, and I get that. And, and that's why the celebrity wild cards got so many people pissed off because there were so many people who tried year after year to get there and, and couldn't. Um, and then, you know, like Gordon Ramsay shows up and just gets a slot straight on in. Yeah. But you know, everyone let's take a breath, take a step back. Like the, the, the exposure, like Gordon Ramsay, you were at his press conferences when, yeah. when he was doing the press, like those were packed. Yeah. They were getting, they were getting media attention to the sport that we would never otherwise get. No. And he was um, awesome too though, Kevin. He was, I can remember when he, like he, he, he looked at them, the sea of media cause they, they did all the pro stuff and then they said, oh, now, now stick around for Gordon Ramsay. And we're like, we'll have a look at this. Cause I don't give a rat's ass one way or the other. I mean, if he's, I agree, he was one person who was going to lift the profile of the sport. It made perfect sense to me. Um, and oh, there's a side story to that, which I'll tell you at one point, but anyway, he, he looked at the crowd, he came out and he just said something like, oh, you know, I got off the plane. I looked at the black lava and now I'm shitting myself. And that was the quote, you know? Um, yeah. and everyone just laughed and said, oh, you're amazing. And he was, he, he, you know, those nosebleed level celebrities, et cetera, they know how to work a crowd. And he, he did a great job of, of, of working the crowd. Oh, absolutely. And then, you know, you look at, um, number of the, I'm taking a mind blank of the NFL players now and Heinz Ward. those guys, you know, they, they totally raised that, raised the level of of media attention for the event yeah so, of course you had heinz ward ex dealer who was the yeah, there we go. MVP. Thank you. um you know he was amazing as well um and you had that apollo cat the 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 dude who was the i think he might have been a speed skater or something like that yeah, um, yeah olympic champion speed skater <laughs> and... do you know what though i 
<laughs> I can remember an Ironman official once talking to me and he gave me a list of five names, Australian celebrities. And he said, which one of these would you think could do an Ironman? And I, the first guy is probably about 400 kilos. So I'm like, oh, he's probably not going to make it. Um, and the second guy um, is on the list. I said, he's probably the one to do it. I think he, and he ended up getting busted for uh, a white substance, maybe at a, at a social event that he might not have had. <laughs> so I just stopped picking people who should be Ironman races. Um, but Kevin, but didn't your prime minister do yeah, Ironman Australia? Yeah, yeah, Tony Abbott did it. And um, how's this though? So Tony Abbott did it one year, right? Now, most people wouldn't know who he was. And he was, they used to call him the mad monk because he was a fairly Christian lad. Um, and anyway, he was the PM. Um, he did it as he was the opposition leader. So he wasn't the PM then. Anyway, I remember being in a random fruit shop one day, right? Just minding my own business. And he was on the campaign trail and he was like doing all this media stuff. And there would have been 30 journos from across the nation following him and breathlessly reporting of him massaging a piece of fruit and looking like a common person. He walked past me. I looked at him. He looked at me. I still had the website at the time. And I go, dude, if, and, and, and he stopped and I said, oh, no, you're from Ironman. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I said, uh, if you'd be the first PM to do an Ironman ever, I said, you know, state, head of state, I said, you're keen for it. And he goes, yeah, yeah, no, I'd love to do it. And he shook my hand and it was all very, very, you know, fun. As he left, it was like 30 journos came racing up to me. What did you talk about? What did you say to him? What's your name? Who are you doing? I'm sitting there going, dude, I'm just talking Iron Man. Like, give me a spell here. You know, right. but it was, you know, that 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 messy entourage of uh, media. I don't know how any of them do it, to be honest, celebrity or politician, how they can handle that sort of intensity. And we're getting to that now, Kevin, because there's a certain athlete in uh, the triathlon world who has garnered a lot of scrutiny, he says, moving very nicely to the next topic of where we're up to. Um, talk me through it. You are on the ground reporting for the beautiful people of Triathlon Magazine in Canada. Now, talk me through the timeline of events that happened. Who? Um, yeah, so this, this one, obviously, we're talking about Colin Chartier, um, so I first got wind of this, uh, Monday morning, um, and, uh, you know, sort of, I, I felt like I was almost late to the bandwagon. Um, you know, I sort of didn't see, I, you know, I, at that point wasn't following Colin and I did not see the announcement. Um, but basically he went, uh, on social media and, um, and uh, published an apology. You know, he, he said, I'm sorry. Um, and uh, I'm trying to remember, you know, basically said that he had tested positive for EPO um, and um, that he had tested positive in February. And uh, because he had admitted to it and not wasn't trying to fight it, instead of getting a four-year ban, he was getting a three-year ban. Um, and, um, you know, that was it. And, and I, I immediately, I just sort of knew, just felt like this one was different, uh, right off the bat. And, and just because of his associations and, um, I think the, the sport has, has jumped all over this and, and just so that we are 100% clear right off the bat, 
Um, you know, uh, his, his coach is Mikel Eden. Um, he trained a lot and actually lived with Lionel Sanders. And there has been absolutely no evidence. There's been nothing that has come out that either anybody else has been involved. And uh, Colin Chartier has been 100% clear that this was him all by himself. No one else knew. So um, just, you know, to get that one out there so that we're uh, not in any way, shape or form, uh, you know, looking to uh, to accuse things. But it just throws a um, throws suspicion just all over the sport. Um, well, because and, let's, uh, so let's I, I guess let's walk through some of that when he got popped. He made a number of statements, didn't he? And he, I, I mean, I, I, there, there's things that we're talking about that have been reported, right? So there are things that he's saying, and the things like I, you know, he made the decision all by himself. Um, he learned to do things on his own, um, and he doesn't want to bring anybody else into it. Yet he did go down swinging though by saying that, you know, he felt that other pros were also involved and, 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 um, you know, he was confident, um, or he was saying that there were men there who, who were. Yeah. So, um, what, what then happened? So, uh, you know, there's a number of reactions to this and Ben Hoffman was very vocal, um, in terms of, you know, what he was, his posts, right. you You know, very soon after, um, you know, Ben kind of made it clear, like, hey, Colin, tell us what's really going on here. We need the truth. If you're going to do something good for the sport and anything positive is going to come out of this, let's not hide. Let's find out, you know, the whole scoop. Um, and shortly after that or later that day, um, he went on uh, the How They Train podcast Um with, uh, I'm guessing Jack Kelly is a, is a fellow Aussie. Um, I'm not super familiar with that, but I had been listening uh, to an earlier podcast that uh, they had done on the How They Train uh, with Colin from, I think it was February, yeah. uh, where he was outlining the training that he had been doing last year. Um, and it certainly, uh, you know, just you, you kind of listen to the, these insane weeks like the week that he did two weeks before the PTO uh, U.S. Open, which he won, was absolutely insane. You know, the number of hours and the intensity of what he was doing. And that was two weeks after he'd won Ironman Mont-Tremblant. Um, so it, it certainly alarm bells kind of go when you're you're hearing about these super, super, uh, you know, incredible workouts that he's doing. Um, and then... You know, and then goes off and wins the PTO US Open. So anyway, he goes on um, the How They Train podcast and does, you know, they, it was billed as a tell-all, um, tell-all doping, doping story. And, you know, he admitted to a bunch of stuff, including, um, you know, that he, he said that he gave the exact date that he ordered the EPO. Um, back in November, um, again, uh, said that it was all him doing this all by himself. And also then said that the International Testing Association 
had done a thorough investigation to see if there was a group involved with all of this and to see if this was an endemic problem in the sport, which immediately kind of sent, I, I had just very a ton of questions around that. Um, And I've reached out to the ITA. Um, They have confirmed that there was a uh, an investigation done, but they are trying to figure out what details they're allowed to release around that. So um, but it just you know, if they did an investigation, then one would think they would have talked to his coach, Mikkel Eden, and they would have talked to his training partners, including Lionel Sanders both of whom expressed shock and dismay and extreme frustration um, in posts on, on Monday about this news. So, you know, I have no reason not to believe Lionel Sanders and Mikkel Eden. So I really wonder, okay, you know, what on earth was going on? Was there an investigation? If there was, who did they talk to? Um, you know, so it just has led to way more questions. And then, as you say, um, in that <laughs> in that uh, in that interview, when asked why you did it, he said, "I really want to win this year and beat the best. At the end of the day, I don't believe they're clean. And if I'm going to try to win, there's no amount of self belief I can have in myself if I believe the top guys are doping." I think it's sad that I came to this decision. I have no evidence that the top guys are. It's just the belief I had and what led me to dope. And then later he's asked, okay, well, you know, you've, you've trained with the, with the uh, Norwegians there. Um, and, and he was quite adamant that, uh, well, he said, I have to believe that these guys are clean. And I do believe that. Um, the last thing I want to do is bring down the people who have supported me the most, and that's Miko, my coach. I don't want, and I don't want to bring down any of the Norwegians. I was working closely with the team, but they had nothing to do with the doping I did. So it, it just, and again, I w- really wanted Jack Kelly to follow up on this. Like, it, how do you say one on the one hand the best are doping, yep. and then turn around and say, well, I trained with the best, and they're not doping. It's a huge, it's a huge, and I see that as a huge inconsistency. So whether he's just bullshitting and just, you know, trying to take a few people down with him, uh, it's hard to know, but you're exactly right. The top of the tree of the Norwegians, everyone knows that. So if he's saying that the best are doping, but his best are not, then he's either full of shit and lying, or he's not wanting to impugn his training group or his coach. Now, that aside... I agree with you, Kevin, at some point. And Ben Hoffman pointed to this about, you know, that transparency. Um, and Ben's comments were pretty um, were pretty pointed. Like, And it's funny because a lot of the pros through, obviously, the, the glory of social media have, um, you know, have been posting around this and have been, some of them haven't been too shy. Josh Amberger, for example, um, did a long post. If you get an opportunity, jump into some of this stuff because it is really impactful. Because of well, course- I, I- I wrote a story just to sorry to just break in. I did do a story on Josh's um, Josh's post um, about that. So yeah, you can find most all of this. There's unfortunately uh, or fortunately, uh, you know, we've d- done extensive stuff on this. So Josh's post is up on our site. Yeah, sorry, go and, ahead. And so, well, Ben Hoffman was saying, you know, um, 
you know, with regards, and I'll quote, with regards to Colin's inconsistent explanations and what I consider an empty apology aimed at justifying his choices, I want to be very clear that not all the top professionals in our sport are cheating and that sorry is only a word until we see further action from him. So again, it's it's really, you know, throwing some haymakers as he's leaving because you can't have it both ways. You can't say the top men in the sport doping that's why you did it versus oh yeah but but my guys aren't it doesn't work like that i don't think so you know and 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 fredino's weighed in lionel sanders has done an eight minute video on his insta there's been so much commentary around all of this um that it really has stirred up a hornet's nest yeah it sure has and then the other questions that um i am desperate to ask of colin chartier um you know he he said that he learned all of this um by watching the Icarus um yeah. Yeah. documentary on Netflix and then what he researched on the internet um which makes absolutely no sense considering um you know when you look on his ins- on his uh, LinkedIn profile um it you know makes it abundantly clear that as an undergrad researcher at Marymount University he was the lead researcher working with Dr. Michael Nordval in the study hemoglobin, hematocrit, and anthropometric alterations during competitive triathlon and cross-country seasons. Um, he's responsible for the design collection and statistical analysis of the study. He has experience in blood sample collecting, microhematocrit monitors, skin fold caliper testing, VA body composition machines, and working with human subjects. Um, so you kind of, well, what so sort of bullshit is this? Seriously, like, I, I um, so uh, and and I the last thing I want to do through all of this, and and I've got another story that I'm working on. I interviewed uh, a bunch of pros, and everyone is 100% clear like, we don't want this to turn into a um, you know, lynch mob after after Colin Chartier. I think everyone is just desperately after the truth, and and it just seems like there are a number of inconsistencies with what Colin has been saying. And especially in that, um, in that, you know, tell all interview. Um, so I, I think this is where, this is where we're at. We're just uh, looking around and would really like to get more answers um, to some of these questions, more transparency and get all of this stuff out there. Yeah. And it's interesting that, you know, there was talk about how he trained in Ecuador and um, the positive came just after that. And then, you know, that's place to train um, that has, you know, the more um, or less less rules. The other side of it, two people saying, well, you know, everyone clips Iron Man. Maybe we should be happy that they've actually caught someone. Um, you know, it, it really is... Um, uh, a, a feather in the in the anti-doping cap of of Ironman, though, isn't it? It sure is. It, well, and this is, um, you know, one of the pros I talked to was kind of saying exactly that, that, you know, we're quick to, <clears throat> people are quick to jump on, you know, on the Ironman, you know, not doing everything they should bandwagon. And he said, uh, you know, he's been, he feel, figures he's been tested 10 or 12 times out of competition um, tests in the last three years. <clears throat> um, and as far as he knows, all of those were Ironman tests. Um, so, you know, <laughs> like Ironman is, is, 
sort of active in all of this. Now I had to laugh because, you know, my, my son was on the national cycling team and this is leading me into a question I want to ask of you, but my son was on the national cycling team and I felt like we practically got on a first name basis with the testers. Like um, he was tested 10 or 12 times in a couple of months. Yeah. Like they, they would, they would arrive at our house. His, his disclosure time was always between six and seven in the morning. Um, you know, and they would, they would knock on our door. It seemed like, you know, often it was a couple of times in a week. So, um, so I, I feel like we're still not doing anywhere near the amount of testing that they certainly were doing on Canadian cyclists, national team cyclists. Um, but here's what I want to ask you. Why are we in triathlon? They, Almost every pro, major pro has had a statement about this. This has been a huge story. It's Everyone's been up in arms. When was the last time a positive cycling test garnered anything like this kind of attention? What is it about try, do you think, that everyone is up in arms about? over this yeah it's um and it is a good question and because I, I thought the same thing every pro that i follow on you know any social media post was you know having having a swing look the, the cycling is is was a, a completely corrupt and dirty sport we all know that right without going through the history of it we just know that it was a dirty sport and i think because there was that real there was two parts to this kevin the first part was that it was happening all the time people were you know you know you would tell anybody in cycling in the eighties and nineties that this would make you go fast and they would drop it. Right. And then we had the clean out and then we had, you know, and I still think it goes on today, but it's probably less. The other side of it too, is that, is that real cycling emerta where people don't talk about things like that. It's, it's worse than fight club. You don't talk about it at all. Um, and as part of the pro peloton, you learn very quickly that you don't talk about what's going on in, in any doping case. Chances are you were doping as well. So you probably don't want to look like, draw any a spotlight or attention to yourself um here i think that like to to dope properly it costs a lot of money you know it does and triathletes don't have access i don't think well it's starting to get better as we've been saying but they don't have access to the funds that cyclists do and cyclists were better funded and there was you know the talk about the slush funds and everyone chipping in you know 20 grand for the drugs and all that kind of stuff um you know there's those stories that come up so it is a different sport because I think triathlon is less, uh, it's less funded and it's harder to get access to, although clearly, you know, Chartier got, got his hands on it. Um, but it's an old sort of rule and custom not to talk about it in, in the cycling community, less draw attention to yourself. So it's probably just something that's hung over now. I don't really... Um, I couldn't tell you what percentage of cyclists are still, you know, unclean. I dare say like every sport, there's going to be a percentage that are. Um, but in triathlon, this is a rarity. Like who would be the last big name to go down, especially coming off winning big races and that PTO race as well. He, who do you think was the last person we spoke about who'd been popped? Well, in terms of EPO and coming off a, a big win, I think you have to go back to Nina Kraft, really. Uh, yeah. Rucker Beckett didn't win uh but yeah nina and and that was an interesting like nina you know and i've written extensively on all of that um that um you know i, I could tell after there was something wrong after she won kona that year 
like I, I still, I, you know, I, I wrote in, in my initial story when I was announcing that I went up to give her a hug after her, after her um, speech at the awards ceremony. And uh, it felt like I was hugging a two by four. Like she yeah. just was so uncomfortable and same deal. Like when Ben, Ben Furtick, the CEO of Iron Man, I have no idea why, but he was the one who called her to say, Hey, you know, you tested positive. Um, and uh, she said, yep, absolutely. Don't test the B sample. I did it. W what do we do now? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it was not hard for me to believe that, um, you know, that was a, that was a one-off, uh, one-off deal, but that's, yeah. Right. It, you know, I think we have to go back a ways uh, to that. So and that's good point. point. Do you know what I mean? The whole point is that we're not getting lots of it. So of course everyone's going to weigh in, you know, and, and, and get that. And I don't know. I mean, I, I think we're naive. We're naive completely to think that there is a clean bill of health in the sport of triathlon. I certainly think an age group is rife. I reckon there'd be a ton of dudes, um, out there doping and you know my theory on bike doping too i reckon there's a bit of that going on too but um obviously yeah. well and i'll just sort of preempt a little bit my story that i'll be getting out today but you know i one of the athletes i interviewed was cody beals and um you know bas basically what he said when i asked him that you know why why is everyone so up in arms like he said i still have belief that our sport is clean the visceral reaction that people have is proof of that. Mm. By and large, people share my experience that the sport is clean. So, um, you know, I, I think I'm hoping that that is the case, that, uh, that as you say, it's more of a rarity. Yeah, um, it is. And yes, I, I, the whole age group stuff, whew, I, I, I really would like to at some point do a deep dive into all of that. It's a story, I guess I... I, I've sort of been on the edges of many times. And every time this comes up, this is exactly what everyone says. Like, oh, yeah, the age group stuff is absolutely insane. So um, they've yes, got all the money, Kevin. They've got all the coin. Like if you some pro pro yeah. age grouper has got all the money in the world and, and can absolutely afford all that, you know, put a whole fridge full of it together. But the, look, yes, we are naive to think that it's 100% clean. But I, I do think that you know, for the most part, we're, we're seeing mostly clean things. I've got, you know, like most people, you sort of raise an eyebrow at certain things, but until testing proves otherwise, unless you want to, you know, completely ignore sport and sit in a cynical uh, bubble where you think everybody's on something, then you've got to just believe until it's not, you know, and it's, you know, the amount of, when, when the first dudes were starting to go under eight hours, you start thinking, oh, hang on, you know, my first thought when they were doing that was, of course, the course is short. But then, you know, you start thinking, now it's commonplace. Everybody goes under eight hours. And you just think that they've dialed in the, the way to race an Ironman, that this is just progress, you know, not of a chemical nature, but more of a, an understanding of, of how they can go and a changing athlete and all that kind of stuff and technology and everything else. And yeah, a few of the people getting around men and women are chemically enhanced. I've got no doubt, but it's not big. I wouldn't have thought it was hugely rife in that. And, you know, Bill's comments are, are pretty, probably pretty much um, vindicated by many pros around the world, Kevin, who probably would have thought the same thing. You know, the sad part was, you know, when you read like a Josh Amberger and of course you've got Lionel Sanders up um, on the website as well. And, 
you know, he's talking about, um, you know, he was um, about Colin staying with him and he talked about those sorts of um, interactions, et cetera. Um, and it was just, you just feel for those guys because you know, like how much effort, you know, I've seen and interviewed guys like Tim O'Donnell after races and, and Ben Hoffman after races and, you know, and just seen how utterly fucked they are after doing an eight hour race. They're not, you know, there's there's not a superhuman Bjarni Reese element about them when they go floating up and down on climbs in the big dog, just looking at everybody and doing a training session. You know, this is not, you feel that you, you know, you feel sorry for those guys who are, who are clean and who are racing hard and watching their, their time in the sun, their one opportunity to cross an Ironman and be an Ironman champion or win a big PTO race taken from them. And that's what I feel for is, you know, the, the, the guys in this, you know, who have, who have laid down before this guy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and this is the, the whole doping thing, you know, and, and Natasha Badman, luckily enough, she had five other opportunities (laughs) to celebrate coming across the line first, but you know, you talk to Natasha, she's still 100% pissed that she did not get to cross the line first. Yeah. That year that uh, Nina Kraft did, mm. um, you know, that that was taken away from her and, um, and and the money. This this came up as well uh, in the in the interviews I was doing yesterday. Like, you know, Colin's not handing back the any of the prize money that he won last year. And, you know, that's, that's a huge deal uh, for these guys uh, when you're you know scraping to make make ends meet. And and he was in that boat himself. You know, I, I I'm. Um, uh, I have been told that he, you know, was fully, ad- you know, fully admitted that he was in monster or he was in debt last year. And that hundred grand win at the PTO US Open was a game changer for him. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, my guess is he's not in a position to return that money anyway. Like it's, it's gone. It's all gone. So um, if people don't get that back and um, yeah, very, it's, it's just a sad Sad story for the entire sport, uh, but I am really, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful that something positive comes out of all of this uh, in that we, you know, that we do get some transparency and, and we do learn more about, um, about what's been going on here. And, um, you know, and, and if everything Colin is saying is, is 100% true, then that's great if he was all by his lonesome and and all of that but it just uh i i guess we need to see a little bit more proof of that at this point before i think people will be comfortable yeah i i <laughs> you bringing up the you know the linkedin profile where he was basically elaborate and all of a sudden he's learning off google i think that's an inconsistency that needs exploring um in he's got a three-year ban is that correct Yes. Do you? Although he's, so he do said you want to see him? No you, intention of coming back. Right. So three year ban. Do you, in twenty twenty six will you welcome him back to the sport? Well, he says he has no interest in coming back. Um, and now you're getting into the whole. Well, here's another thing that that came up, um, and uh, that that is just sort of a, of interest as well. Like. Um, I didn't even know these things existed, but he was part of the Marymount ethics team. Like they have competitions where they, they, 
they're teams that deal with ethical ethical problems and they <laughs> they compete against other other teams and you're kind of like okay so this um, so now you're getting into that ethical dilemma so if we want to get rid of doping in the sport um, and we need people who get caught to sort of say okay, you know, here are the people I got it from, here are the doctors who are helping me, here, all of those things, then we need to let people back in, right? Like if you just say, hey, once you're popped, you're done. That's it, you're gone forever. Um, well, there's not going to be any motivation to to help out, I'm, I, I think. So I, I just don't know how we get around all of this stuff. Mm. Um, I mean, I've long been a, a, I've long thought that people can come back and that's been, you know, a bone of contention for some people, but I think we live in a society that allows for second chances. And, you know, if he did something, you know, unlawful and went to prison, he could come back out and be a member of society and contribute and blah, blah, blah. So why is this any different? You know, if a guy has robbed money off people, which this guy, you know, Chartier certainly has, um, you know, he does his time and he comes back. You would hope he would be rehabilitated. However, if there's a second one, a second doping um, positive, then that's when they get the lifetime ban. But I think too, I think three years is a little lean. You know, I would be welcome. I'd welcome that sort of five-year kind of setup because that kind of knocks you out of contention. That kind of doesn't end your career, but it makes it harder to come back. And I think, you know, while we can have those sorts of uh, redemptive processes and have people come back, the rate of recidivism in that sort of area would be too high for me to believe that people are going to come back and just, you know, go full clean. And him mentioning that he's not wanting to come back, well, he's probably not welcome, to be honest. Standing on the start line uh, would be a pretty brave effort in three years because people won't forget that. No, no, ab- absolutely. So, yeah, it, this is this is something. Yeah, I I'm with you 100. percent I well, actually, you know what? I'm not sure because here's the other question I have for you, and I'm I'm sure there's research I'll have to go into this. But how do we know that the like once you've had those benefits, they don't stay there for ages, right? Yeah, so that's right. If you've been doing steroids. You increase your muscle mass, um, like so that muscle mass is just going to disappear after three years if you just kept training. I'm, you know, like so. Is, is there an advantage that you get for good? And and I'm actually asking this question. I guess I need to do some research to find out. Um, so yeah, like once you've had the benefits, who's to say that they don't? they disappear after three years. Yeah, I agree. And there's, there's too much that, you know, as you and I have quite readily admitted a number of times in this podcast, there are smarter people in the world than us, funnily enough, um, who could give you a proper answer around that. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I think three years is probably on the skinny side for something like this. Um, you know, we could spend the next five hours debating ethics and debating, you know, what's right and what's wrong. You know, it, it's, it's a three-year ban and it's probably – enough just to push him out of the sport and, and, you know, um, at some point he maybe can 
do something else. But I wouldn't have thought he was particularly welcome because of the amount of people that he's, that he's tipped in and the amount of people who seem to have an opinion around this. I would think that he would be widely uh, wise to possibly pick another pastime once uh, once the, the, the dust from all this settles. So um, Colin Charche calls you on Monday and says, Phil Rockna, you've had tons of experience in the sport. What is my, what do I do now? You're, I want you to be my PR manager and get me through all of this. What would you tell him to do? Oh, Jesus. Um, well, thing is, right, like he's he's going to lose money, right? So his sponsors are going to leave him. His any any form of sponsorship is going to go. Um, he's going to be widely chastised by everyone, which he has been. Um, he's a bit of a pariah. The best thing you can do, I reckon, in this, Kevin, is just just lie, like let it go, man. Like you've admitted what you can. You know, is there value in a deep dive into that? I mean, there probably is. Um, there probably is value into telling the story of how it actually went you know, and clearing up the inconsistencies. But you need someone who's going to ask proper questions. You know, you need yeah. someone who's going to give him like, a you know, and even if that's, you know, like an anti-doping lawyer or someone like that who's got a lot of sort of those number of hours and experiences in that who can ask and peel away what's actually going on. And if you've got any shred of moral compass pointing to the right, you know, area of of the world, then you probably want to do that. You know, it's somewhat cathartic. And all the doping um, stories and books and et cetera that I've read, the I want to say relief, but I want to say that sort of pressure of being caught is somewhat cathartic. We saw it, you know, the most probably the most popular case ever is Tyler Hamilton, you know, who wrote extensively about that look that he had on the podium when he was winning races as a doper and just that hollow, you know, expression that I know what I'm doing is wrong because he was brought up to to, to believe in, in right and wrong. You know, as a PR person, I would talk to him about what you can do in order to actually come clean, clean your slate, and then, you know, you at least have tried to make amends with a wrong that you've created. Now, this is not murder. This is not anything heinous. But what it is doing in the sporting sense, it is. It's the most, you know, it's the biggest crime you you can commit, you know, short of betting on yourself and things like that. But cheating like that and that level is the biggest crime you can commit in sport. So, yes, come clean. Um, talk frankly and openly and unburden yourself, man. Like, you know thinking about him as a person for a while, carrying that around has got to be a fairly sizable and hectic load to be sitting on your shoulders, Kevin, every single day, knowing that, you know, if you're a person with a conscience, that's got to be a heavy burden. Yeah, absolutely. And one, so yeah, I, and, and I think, so to me, what Colin has done here is with, with coming out and there's just being, sort of saying what he has done, he's made things so much worse because there's there are just so many questions that people like myself are asking. Um, and and yeah, I, and, and I think this is where uh, the International Testing Agency, I hope can, you know, if they have done an investigation, getting that information out is really critical because that will 
that will ease a lot of our minds. Yeah. Um, if that, if that information is available. Um, so yeah, but I, I do think that, you know, I just, I just feel he would have been better to either keep, you know, do his apology and then keep quiet, uh, rather than the, you know, the quote tell all, if you're going to do a tell all, then you really tell all. Yeah. <laughs> you don't leave more, more questions out on the table after it. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, Kevin, that's, it's, it's a, it's a story that will probably have a little bit more to go. I don't think the, the wind are out of the sails yet. Um, we've seen the uproar and there'll be a little bit of fallout, I would imagine, going forward. Um, and you are the man at the, uh, the coalface of this, uh, as a, um, as a publisher, getting your words out on, uh, on the website. So I encourage people to get on board, Kevin, cause no doubt there's more coming. Uh, yeah, I, I think there, yeah, for sure that we've got lots more to explore with all of this and, uh, but it's, it's really funny cause I just, I just feel so badly when, that we spend time on this and this is what everyone wants to go and read and um all of the other great stories that that are out there in the sport just don't get anywhere near the same kind of popularity but yes. th that's the time for another podcast <laughs> exactly kevin we are going to be back next week previewing ibiza um which is may 6 coming up um and we'll be back doing a preview of that because we're going to talk about a stacked field on both sides of the house, which will be uh, a fun one to have a conversation around and uh, something that's a bit more uh, lively towards what we normally do. There we go. I love it. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we hope you enjoyed us uh, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. We appreciate you having a listen to us. If you find someone who doesn't know about us, go and get something and throw it at them and say, listen to these two. They know what they're on about, apparently. Uh, this has been The Life of Try. Phil Rockner signing off. Kevin McKinnon, thank you, sir. We look forward to seeing what comes up uh, from you in the next few days, buddy. Hey, thanks so much, Phil. All right, everyone, take care, and we'll uh, catch you next week with our big preview. Thanks for listening to The Life of Try. If you like us, tell your mates and follow us on Instagram at The Life of Try.